Welcome to Mind Rolling, and Dave and I are back. I'm Raghu Marcus, and... I'm David Silver. Hello. Well, you know, we, we're just having a beautiful day to get... To, just because Dave came here, and I'm in this beautiful land of North Carolina, and suddenly it's turned uh, really nice. Springtime has sprung, and... Um, you know, we do these podcasts, some of them we do when we're physically together, some of them we do by remote, because Dave lives in New York, So, but we're happy to do these things here, and uh, it's way more fun. Yeah, and it's, it's very clement. It's a word I've been waiting to use <laughs> for a long time, <laughs> clement. No, but it really describes the countryside and the temperature after we've been through this kind of frozen, freezing cold gusts of wind. Uh, in well, North you've East. had a horrible winter. Yeah, there in the it East. was yeah. pretty bad in New York this time, yeah. but I don't mind because yeah. I'm from the north of England and I'm acclimatized, although the word is acclimated in North America. Um, but it's great to be here, and it's great to be doing another one of these shows. Uh, this is um, we're starting to meet a lot more of our of our audience online, and. Uh, it's uh, it's been really nice to to get a feeling for who who we all are and uh, a lot of rapport, a lot of back and forth. Uh, Dave is on Twitter quite a lot. The Twitter Twitterverse is pretty diverse. Oh, that's a poetic statement. Twitterverse, uh, like universe Twitterverse, you know. Oh, Twitterverse, or Tweetverse, yeah, right. whatever. Yes, but it's diverse because some of them come from our friend Duncan Trussell's Joe Rogan's stream, which is really outrageous LA humor. And a great deal of, of uh, smart stuff. And uh, a lot of it comes from um, people who are into various forms of yoga. And um, it's diverse. It's not just them. Everybody's different, you know. And we even have maybe uh, two or three friends who actually do listen. They tell us. They, they We've lie. Been trying. They're lying. <laughs> They're lying. We have but, to quiz them. on. <laughs> I have done that. I've actually <laughs> asked questions, and the answer's... <laughs> <laughs> proven that they never listen. No, it's very interesting because people um, like um, it's it's interesting. It's like you know, it's like looking at a Facebook page of your life. You know, the mosaic of your friends. You know, like this person is a strong devotee, a devotee of 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 either some form of yoga or Buddhism or something, and then the next person is just interested in in music, and the next person is obsessed with food or dogs. <laughs> and, and and you can't judge because we're all going on this this journey home somehow together. And Facebook is a good thing to realize yeah. that you do judge. You know, I find myself judging all the time. Going, <laughs> I'm going to hide this thing that keeps coming up. But, you know, it's, there's nothing really bad about being reminded all the time that your ego is destroying you and the, the soul is eternal and infinite That's and not. full of love. Yeah. And a lot of people do express that in various forms every day mm -hmm. every day and there sometimes i feel kind of like well this is diluting it a little but that's rubbish because there are a lot of people out there who it's not diluting it for it's you know what that brings up to me because uh, dave tells me that one of one of the letters that he got <laughs> in the mail um not really uh is uh, from somebody who um is a little bit upset with... Oh, yeah, that was on Ramdas. It was on your podcast. It oh. wasn't on, on Mind Rolling. Oh. It was on one of the, in the 30s, 34, 35, when I guess you guys talked a little bit 
or you referred to a, a piece on psychedelics came well, up. Well, then I shouldn't be bothering to tell anybody on mind rolling because they're all cool and they don't mind us they talking w- about psychedelics w- are the thing that woke us up. I well, guess. she had a good point. Let's let's talk about it. Her point was, you know, that um, she was sort of aghast or a little bit uh, disturbed by the fact that we were talking about substances, you know, psychedelic, and she is involved in, in has been involved in, in some form of rehab for people who've had really bad drug problems and felt, I think, that our emphasis on that. But, you know, due respect, and I really do respect her for saying that, uh, we're not talking about the abuse of, of narcotics and hard drugs and addictive drugs. I think all the time we're talking about the sacramental materials of marijuana and LSD and peyote and so forth, which are from the, you know, which are from a different place. But it, it, it need, I think we need to remind ourselves you know it's dangerous to just talk about drugs you know because they've mm-hmm. got different connotations yeah. in 2013 than they had in 1968 but you know as i was saying to you before i mean it really goes back to the thing of anything can be used uh for one's good or taking the other path where you have destructive behavior and uh there's you know you it's we we had a whole um we did a show around the internet and is it, you know is it for the good of of humankind at this point or is it to the detriment and and i think the conclusion that we came to in the end was it's just depends how it's used and it's like that with anything so uh there is no Absolutely no denying that um, I knew people who got into all sorts of, you know, weird head states, uh, abusing LSD or or mushrooms or whatever. There's no doubt about it. And um, at the same time, I know droves of people who had opened them up to the to the possibility of being free and that there's another uh, a completely different vantage point where you know you are not caught in uh in the trappings of your mind basically right. so that that freedom you know that was extraordinarily important we we need to talk about uh uh our sponsors yes uh our sponsors are great our sponsors are are you all yes, really that's i mean that's the, because our sponsors <laughs> is simply going to what going to amazon clicking on the uh icon on our site mindrollingpodcast.com and buying anything, and we automatically get a little piece. And everybody buys on Amazon. Amazon has taken over the world. We know that. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, we all do it every day. I mean, we're I'm just getting my family and everybody. You know, go to the portal because that's the only way we, we can support. Uh, you know, mind rolling and uh, and and Audible. And Quickly, all, yeah, I Audible know is don't. another portal on on the mindrollingpodcast.com. Uh, website and with that it's a similar situation whereby if you do get an audible book and you get a free one for the first month audible.com audible books are everything you know hundreds of thousands of uh, titles everything from Sharon Salzberg to Keith Richards and um, you know it's it's kind of a nice thing to get and we also benefit from that so you sort of donate to us if you get an, an yeah. audio book through that yeah so it's simple so give it a shot it's it, no harm done or yeah. just the donate buttons right there and we do we're, we're getting lovely response we're starting to get some nice response so thank you to everybody out there um there has been a uh an, an alert i uh, that's come out recently it's i don't, I don't know believe, if it's are the, you really doing this 
Well, I, I just I, I get Ed Thunderwitz. No, no, it's. I think it's important. Um, okay, those of you who are on the big spiritual dharmic path and want something that's going to be the engine for your further progression and evolution, you're about to hear it. And this is, it's not from the TSA exactly, <laughs> but I think it's from a European agency, and it, and it has been found by um, gastroenterologists that... Uh, that uh, dealing with flatulence, uh, several passengers during a flight from Copenhagen to Tokyo were uh, had to be carted off the plane. So they're saying now, uh, <laughs> holding back holds significant drawbacks for the individual as discomfort, pain, bloating, dyspepsia, indigestion, pyrosis, just to name but a few resulting abdominal symptoms. Oh, it's lovely. So now you nice. know, and I think a lot of people, like Dave just flew here, and uh, I don't know. If oh, I have a story. I have a story about everything. This is really a horrible one. Um, many years ago, when they first opened the big shuttle parts of the airport, and it was different airlines, um, but I believe Delta had a shuttle pretty early on. And it was a time when I'd first given up sugar because of my, the amount of my triglycerides and hyperglycemia. And it was killing me to give up sugar, killing me. And my search was not for God, it was for sugarless chocolate. And um, I got to the Delta uh, shuttle early one time to fly to Boston. So that's like an hour flight or something. And there was a, a, a booth that was devoted to sugarless candies. And I, I, I just thought, oh, this is Valhalla close to nirvana and i mm. bought many different kinds that were sort of like jelly baby type things and then you know licorice all sorts and little chocolates and had three bags full and the plane was delayed and was late and <laughs> i ate a obscene amount of these sweets and it was fine they tasted good and everything they were great but then the the ensuing the ensuing flatulence occurred as we took off <laughs> and you? the entire plane Really? Yeah, because those kinds of early sugarless things gave, made you fart in this magnificent, total, endless way. You just kept doing it. <laughs> you asked for well, it. I wasn't doing this segment. Well, no, but, it, know, and he, it he, says he here. I'm just so you must have you must have known this, uh, you know, way in advance. I'm, I'm psychic that the, despite giving the all clear <laughs> for yes. passengers to just let it go. Researchers warn that pilots shouldn't. The pilot can't do it, see, so. Um, I just thought that that was... What's interesting to me is when you talk with um, some women about this, because I, I found a statistic that said that men and women both fart on an average, you know, seriously, 13 times a day. <laughs> it's true, I didn't just make this up. I read it in some, you know, National Geographic or something. Something. Um, <laughs> and I've mentioned it to my partner in life, Sandra, and she's denied it with such vehemence that I, <laughs> I didn't bring it up again. Yeah, well, that's not something you should have brought up in the <laughs> no. first place. Oh, God. All right, well, where were we going? Well, here? the next, uh, we had a news What's item. Ne here. Oh, another news item. This is we're doing the news now, yeah, folks. This is a news item, which I thought you should all hear. It's a headline. Um, and the headline is actually China bans reincarnation without government permission. This is, and um, read, I, yeah. I'll read the text, which is in one of history's more absurd acts of totalitarianism, China has banned Buddhist monks in Tibet from reincarnating without government permission. According to a statement issued by the State Administration for Religious Affairs, the law, which goes into effect next month, and strictly stipulates the procedures by which one is to reincarnate. 
is, quote, an important move to institutionalize management <laughs> of reincarnation. Uh, you know, this is very obviously ridiculous, Orwellian and hysterical, but it is yet another another example of the way the Chinese and the Han Chinese are subjugating and destroying Tibetan culture and Tibet. It's another yeah. way of doing it. It's another subtle way of saying, we, no, no more temples, no more monks. No, this is, it's really awful, isn't it? Are these the worst people? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, not this. This is just no, bullshit. But, this is but what they're doing, you know, and, and in, in Tibet that we read and, and see uh, on television all the time. And what and, gets me is when I see on the news other things about China, you know, things that are progressive or whatever, like their solar, their solar mission to manufacture solar panels cheaper than the rest of the world and eventually, you know, stop their polluting and, and, and use solar more. And, and the people seem very well-dressed in the cities and they seem fairly civilized and very, blah, blah, blah. They just seem like normal, good people. And then this is going on in their name. And I don't know whether they know about it. And it's another question like Germany. I mean, I don't think it's an obscene uh, analogy that many Germans after the Second World War said they just didn't know about the camps. And I'm sure some of them didn't. Now they're saying, did you see that there's far, far more internment camps of all sorts? Yeah, I saw that. 10,000, 20, no, yeah. 40,000, something crazy. So, so they must There was no way that anyone didn't know. But China's just such a huge country, and Tibet is, after all, uh, Tibet on the extreme end of it. And it's possible that they don't, because of their propaganda system, they don't tell the people anything about Tibet. They just talk about that territory, and it's a place for expansion and where particularly the Han Chinese can go and get work and work in construction and and, yeah. and even IT and all of that. And it, when you're on Twitter these days, there are so many uh, Tibet uh, mm. sites yeah. where so many different people are. Uh, there's one site called She Dances Tibet, which is particularly poignant. But there are many of them that are constantly giving information about it. So I recommend to people to find those sites about Tibet and get some of the truth that is not, it's not, I mean, the sad thing is not being spoken about by the American media either. It's a, it's an occasional subject yeah. when a, a monk self-immolates. Mm -hmm. Sensational. It makes good video or whatever. No, they don't even do that anymore. No, they're, they're not, not doing, doing that, that anymore. That, you know, so what do we do? Well, the only thing we can know. do is, is to, you know, because I mean, the, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, so, so often says that no, no, no peace on this planet can come unless all, are aware of all of the things that are going on and are working in concert to do something about it. It's not going on with Tibet, obviously. Mm. You know. The weird thing about it is, and we've said this over the years, if this had not happened, these teachings wouldn't have spread the way that they've spread. Yeah. I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in my own little light, uh, Generally speaking, the Tibetans seem to have some of the clearest um, renditions of what reality is, and how and and good recipes for uh, getting free of mental afflictions, etc., etc. Et so, the fact that this is all you know, so it's it's like everything; it's a double-edged sword. Look what's happened and the suffering that's going on, um, but at the same time. Uh, Look at the suffering that has been um, eradicated in the, in the West in many 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 areas due to Buddhist uh, Tibetan Buddhism spread. I mean, mm. I don't know, but talking about teachers and um, 
I, I just did a podcast with Ramdas, and as many of you know, I think at this point, we, I also do another podcast as part of the Love Server Member Foundation's Ramdas uh, work that I do. Um, and in it, he was talking about teachers. And without being too uh, repetitive, uh, although I do want to read this quote. I'll have to find it here while Dave takes over. But basically, he talked about Trungpa Rinpoche, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who we have mentioned on this podcast in its very earliest days yes. as, as somebody who was really a, one of those transformers for us. And uh, Ramdas talked about the best teacher is a rascal. <laughs> and he talked about Trungpa and said Trungpa got his people, they were drinking, they were gambling, they were exchanging partners, all out front. They were dealing with their demons. He was having them courageously deal with their demons in a conscious way. Now, you know, other there's been this kind of shit going on in other spiritual uh, organizations. Uh, but not necessarily... It's so, such a touchy... Uh, subject about is this and Ramdas says in it you so with this kind of thing we thought he was crazy you know he's like you know doing this really wild shit he's not hiding it I mean we used to sit with him when he would give a lecture and he'd drink like a couple of bottles of sake and you wouldn't see a damn thing happen to him maybe his words would slur a little bit he got a little looser but he was pretty loose to begin with right And but his students were I mean we met and knew many of them. Look at Pema Chodron, his right major student of, yeah, I of think Trumpos, so. I, yeah. But I'm he, pretty sure and and yeah. how solid she is and how solid many many of them. So um he had the courage to do this thing. And then and you know the caveat is you never know is he crea- is he pure? Is he is he is he finished with you know the stuff that that is being displayed and it's just a teaching? It's uh, Ramdas said something like um, like Rajneesh, that guy, yeah, you know, in the he had like ninety Rolls Royces. Yeah, more. was this? Yeah, he actually whatever. had a, over a hundred. I really? remember the whole seeing them lined so up. So it's is the question is, is it something he did to to give a teaching? You know about attachment. Or was he just a you know hung up guy from India you know that that just was greedy, you know we'd never know, and uh, you know unless you're really finished. But um, but the truth is, and I think this is the strongest point of the whole thing, you you work with a teacher the best you can, you know, and as all out and hard as you can, um, knowing that if they're creating any karma, that's their business. I mean, it has nothing to do with you. Your intentions are your intentions. So I think that's. Uh, I don't know how we got on that. Well, because of the Tibetans that got out of Tibet. And the difference with them was that they weren't coming here or to Italy and England as they did to make money. Usually they were just escaping and then somehow found a a place to teach. And with with Trungpa, it was was, uh, America and Boulder and Vermont and New York. And he he was... I mean, Robert Thurman, the, the great scholar head of Tibet House and um, an amazing writer about Buddhism, he says that Tibetan Buddhism is an advanced form of Buddhism, that it came after the other ones. Because mm-hmm. before yeah. those guys, really, it was Zen that we were interested in, and Suzuki, and Smith's writing about it, and all, Smythe's rather, Smythe's 
stories of Zen, incredible stories, which I recommend to everybody. I think he was called R.F. Smythe, and there are many volumes of his stories of Zen masters, and they were Zen masters, and they're incredible. They're funny. They're amazing. Smythe, but bef there were no Tibetans at that time, or few. And then, as you say, Raga, the mixed blessing of this terrible yeah, from persecution yeah. has brought many of these men and women to the United States and to Europe and to everywhere. So, my goodness, what a blessing that is. Uh, but the least we can do in return is to try and be conscious at any rate of what's going on in Tibet and not be so sort of, okay, there's nothing we can do about it. I don't know whether there is. Even His Holiness never says we want a country. He just wants justice. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not telling the Chinese get out or anything. He's just saying, would you stop with yeah. the... Anyway. I think um, that... I, I, I did see a recently, actually it was on 60 Minutes, and it was a show uh, about China, uh, about one aspect of China, which was the building, the, the incredible amount of building that's gone on there in the last number of years. It's like the bubble that we had before here in the States. And uh, he, uh, whoever it was, interviewed a young woman... And she and her husband were partners, and they built some large part of Beijing and other places. I mean, amazing story. They came from nothing. Mm -hmm. This incredible young woman. And she was so honest. I was like, wow, they're going to take her away. She was saying, yeah, you just got to bribe. I mean, you know, they just got to accept it. You got to bribe your way from one end of China to the other. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two that there's this bubble and, and the government is, is still encouraging pe people to put their money into real estate. and But there's a gigantic bubble, they interviewed other people, that's going to burst in China. That could have, a, of course, a large, you know, incredible um, reflection around mm -hmm. this world. But so, and she said at one point, yes, there will be democracy. So, I, I mean, she's probably in jail now. I mean, that was just... Yeah, but it reminds you of, of Hitler's Thousand-Year Reich when some of the Nazis, the Gestapo, the particularly nasty ones, said, well, no matter how bad we are, if we build this great Reich in a thousand years, it'll all, it, nobody will care. If it's a great Aryan society, you know, by, by 2935, which is what he was talking about, because this is the mid-30s, no one will remember that we gassed all the Jews and gypsies and blacks and homosexuals and disabled people and people with Down syndrome. It'll just Who be said a that? Um, one of the Nazi oh, scholars. Right, right. You know, it was just like, what is the what is Hitler's thousand-year Third Reich? What what does mm. that mean? It means that eventually, what we had to do at the beginning will be forgotten. So that was the, the sort of fascist and i'm mentioning it only because china probably feels the same way well you know once tibet is totally taken and it's chinese with yeah. a few tibetans yeah. doing the the bad work uh there'll come a time when no one in china will remember this and it'll be just fine no so that's the sad yeah that's you know, yeah that's that's anyway um that's history but so we wanted to get into um a couple of things uh that we found on on paper on in on hard copies of interviews and stuff, but the one that I, you know, involving Ramdas and other people, and uh, there's one thing here. Uh, people, you think they're sick of us talking about Ramdas? Okay, they are, but he, you know, and he is. <laughs> I don't even know if he's listened. To. Okay, well, let's not talk about Ramdas. We'll talk about. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, we'll talk about I mean, well, listen. You it's know, hard not to talk about him because he's so he, he's such a. The thing about him that people love, I think, or I do, is besides being, you know, 
an amazing being and, and a, a transmitter of all the great wisdoms from that he in, encounters. He's also a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant articulator still, and uh, it's amazing what he, he says. Like, we did an interview with him. Okay, segue. Yeah, right. segue. Rago and I interviewed him once. This was in two... Actually, on Can I just say one thing, though, about this? Please, yes. The fact is that Dave and I, you know, we're like in daily touch because we work on all sorts of different projects together. We've been doing this for a long time, as we've said before. And, you know, gee, Ramdas comes into our conversation as sort of a rudder for many of... Because, you know, in terms of people asking us, you know, how do we navigate day-to-day? Like the uh, we did a, a podcast uh, mm. uh, recently... Um, it, it was we we saw this headline life is tough deal with it you know in a buddhist magazine so i guess a lot of what we'd like to think that we have anything to offer is amalgamating um many of the paths and pitfalls and our own and putting pointing them out as examples to just being able to navigate day to day which is so very very tough thing to do on all levels and uh, so Ramdas comes up in the lexicon because he's really managed to synthesize this stuff in a way that's so readily available. All right, so we did this interview, and what was it about? I can't remember. It was uh, it was wide ranging. A lot of it was about his, you know, time just when he met his guru Maharaji and 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 how that affected him, obviously. And you know, a lot of it was exact recollections. But then, sort of rather deep into the interview, um, he he's talked about surrender and you know Raghu and I were talking to him about um, you know what happened to the your old personality of being the Harvard professor Richard Dr. Richard Alpert when after you'd had this incredible experience with with Maharaji and with Bhagawan Das who introduced him to Maharaji and um, I asked him uh, after your first encounter with Maharaji when he did all this incredibly powerful stuff, you had a totally emotional reaction to it. Did your old guy, the old guy within you, come back? What happened then to you in the days following this revelatory experience? Should I go on reading this? Okay, so Ramdas said, the old guy didn't surface. It went to bed at KK's. That's where he was staying. It was a daze that I don't remember because I was just whirling and crying and crying and crying. Crying somehow took me to, oh my God, I'm home. This is what I've always wanted. Somebody will understand me from inside out. KK talked to me about Maharaji. I just surrendered to everything. I didn't consciously surrender, but I was surrendered to the whole scene. I didn't even feel there was a choice. It was so fully surrendered, which had not been in my consciousness before, him living like this. And he goes on in more detail, but what he's talking about is that he had no choice. Yeah. That it was so pervasive and real that that was it, yeah. and now you you know because you were there, maybe well, you'd like to amplify on that a little. No, bit. I mean I think we can both say though. Everyone who hears that word surrender, who is from the West, shudders. Yeah. Even today, even people on the path that are, uh, I don't want to be too judgmental, but some of our Buddhist friends, for instance, might take. You know, um, not they're not down with that particular word in that, 
that the that context completely has to be changed. It's taking refuge, yeah. which really is uh, because you know uh, I just showed Dave we have this wonderful thing from our old friend K K Shah in India about what that word is. He says you have no idea what that word, what you think that word is, is not what we're referring to in India. Okay. And that caused a lot of trouble way back, back in the day, as they say. You know, the surrender. People say, I'm not surrendering to any guy. I'm not kissing his feet. That's really absolutely everything that I don't want to be. I want to be well, free. Well, start, with, yeah. start yeah. with just like, yeah. uh, you know, sports events. Okay. Better surrender now. You're finished. Give up. Tennis, you know, um, <laughs> basketball, whatever. Yeah, it's you against know, all. It's against yeah. everything yeah. that's in us you know, to, to even consider that word as an option. Then, of course, we're, we're, you know, we're in our 20s and we start to find out about the stuff from the East and, and some of these guys and mostly guys come to America finding a bunch of gullible, uh, lovely young Westerners and say, you must surrender, you must be giving me your money. And your home and land. I mean, how all of these organizations collected um, stuff because they needed to exist. And generally speaking, many of these people did. You know, came to this country and they were not. Um, you know, they they were not clean and they had desires, and so they they involved everybody in their desire system. So surrender to this phony guru thing and so so we went i you know we went to india oh, i don't know if i told this story before i'll tell mind. you if you, you will mm, i promise because uh i mean there's a nice thing about having getting old and getting alzheimer's <laughs> forget you can, everything no you can keep telling people your friends the same damn story they no no they, the they object eventually yeah <laughs> uh but when i first went to india before I could meet Neem Karoli Baba, uh, I he I couldn't find him. So I was in, uh, well, I'll tell the whole thing. I was in Ganeshpuri with Swami Muktananda, who was a famous Swami who came and toured America, and many many people are are, are devoted to him then and still now through his uh, disciples. So I went there for the first time. Ramdas actually happened to be there. No, he came the day after I met him. And I went, and everybody was touching his feet, bowing down, right? The ultimate surrender. Mm. And I thought, shit, I don't want it. I had no feeling of anything whatsoever, and I was just doing it because everyone else was doing it. And I thought if I didn't do it, he'd kick me out, and what would my friends think of me at that point? So, So I did it, and it was like, yuck and all of you know the reactivity that was inside me was sick you know ramdas came the next day and i i told him i said i went up and i i didn't want to really do it but i did it what is this all about and he said it's about honoring the light inside of you honoring the light inside of that being it's not about personalities, and uh, whenever you and if you get stuck, then you are. And this is good work. Just look at your stuckness. What are you getting stuck around? Mm. What part of your ego is wrapping around that one? 
I went back the next day, still, yuck, you know, he finally actually said a word to me, Muktananda, because uh, uh, I was leaving. It was like, it's a happy event. <laughs> uh, and anyhow, it's, it's, three days later, I got to um, the foothills of the Himalayas because I found out where Maharaji was, or he had come back to this ashram. And I went, and I went in the gate and uh, sat in front of this bench it's called a tucket where he would uh, uh, come out and sit on. Anyhow, he opened up the door. He came and he sat down. As the door opened, my whole time-space continuum changed. <laughs> All of the uh, my complete external reality went away, and all I could do was like throw myself at his feet. <laughs> I had no idea why hmm. whatsoever. And from that moment on, I knew I was finished in terms of I, I didn't have to try so hard to do what I thought I needed to do to be happy. It was over. Um, so it, it's exact, it is really not. And, and you have that wonderful essay uh, from KK. And I think, I don't know, if, did you pick out a part of it that kind of says what no, this is? Because the, he great. says in it that there is no way that a rational ma mind can understand that. When you truly understand that, you are it. <laughs> That's, you know, what, what real uh, surrender. It has to be s surrendered to that self. And it is not, and, and it's, it's taking the, uh, it's called Sharan in, in India, the Hindi word. Uh, umbrella. It's like you go under that umbrella, and you. Wh what are those couple of examples? He's like. Well, he, he makes an analogy that it's not. It's not. It's. it's you have to have, you know, the, the real feeling first, and for you know whatever absolute power, you've become aware of. And then he says, he makes this. He says, for a thirsty person, there's no substitute for water. Even if you give him or her any delicious dish, he will reject it until he gets water. This is also a form of Sharanagati for his life. In that moment, it's fully dependent on water. And at that time, he's only thinking of water, nothing else. Without water, his survival is doubtful. He'll try all his efforts to, only to get water. Even the most valuable things of the universe cannot attract him at that moment. He'll give away all his valuables in exchange for water at that time. Such is the condition of a true Sharanagat to God. He does not want any materialistic thing of this world in exchange for the shelter of God. But the care of all the devotees, worldly things, is taken care of by that absolute power itself. And, I mean, he's, again, he's saying refuge, shelter, that once you feel it and you know it, you're not questioning it. it you're not surrendering anything but your ego and your, and your neurosis. Exactly. That's, I think, what it is. And, yeah. you, and, the, and Buddhist uh, lore, teaching, definitely says that taking refuge is leaving your ego at the door and, and, and investing yourself in in this um, greater self. And that greater self is the, one, the spacious self but beyond yeah. your constricted idea of... Yeah. I mean, let's face it, all of us Westerners, you know, with very few exceptions, were brought up with a very constricted sense of self. And when the word religion came up, it was a, a, a sort of a judgmental and rule-based rule uh, ruler that ruled your life. That's real weird surrender. When you know it, I mean, I don't want to bring up any religions or anything, but I could never <laughs> handle that. That's not surrender of ego. That's just surrender of um, will. 
mm-hmm. which is very strange. Yeah, no, that's it's different. Nothing. It's just different. Yeah, you know, this is it revolves around a certain kind of faith. Once you understand that there is a reality, whatever you want to call it, that's a separate reality from your senses that is available. Once you understand that, and you, then once that understanding is not so much an, uh, a mental understanding, it's it's a intuitive understanding. So that's more associated with uh, the spiritual heart. And once that happened, um, and that happened in my case when I met Ramdas, I under you know well again we go back and it's acid and then meeting teachers. In this case, it was Ramdas. And once that happened, it was firmly. It was like an implant. You had that implant. And really, that implant is faith that there is this, this reality, this interconnectivity. You had that faith. And so when I suddenly went there and I was like, yuck, on bowing down to anybody, but with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji, it was like no thought, like with Ramdas. Once that happened, once he did the... With him, that first miracle, your mother died of spleen. He said it in English, spleen. And Ramdas broke down, and that was it. You know, that was the implant for him. Then he implanted others, as Krishnas has said before. Um, love is a disease; those who have it give it to those who don't. You know, so that's that's really what happened. And uh, at that point, Ramdas. Any of us, honestly, at that point said, we, uh, there was nothing. You couldn't even mentally think about, like he didn't leave for six months. He was supposed to go home in three days. Hmm. He just, no one told him to go anywhere. So finally they told him. Maharaji said, Gauri, go back. Go back. You'll write a book. Don't tell anybody about me, though. Ram, Ram. (laughs) Told the entire planet. Yeah. You know. I mean, but surrender also, you can take it down to, on a daily basis in my life and in people's lives, I think, where you're uptight, you're really uptight about something, be it some relationship thing or be it some business thing or be it a money thing, and, and it's it, you, you go to bed at night and it's on your mind and you think, oh, I'll sleep, and then the first thing that hits you in the morning instead of being God or Krishna or Buddha is the IRS or something. <laughs> and the surrender again is surrendering to the essential beneficence of the universe every day and eventually probably different people have different ways of doing it music meditation yoga something or just being aware just actually suddenly being oh i'm not going to let this thing rule my hour my this next hour i'm going to remove myself from this and surrender to what i really know is the larger and deeper reality that's a daily thing and i mean if people think out there that are listening to this that um, you need a guru or a drug or anything, there's nothing wrong with if you if that's your karma. If that if that's the moment of your life, you meet a guru and creates the ability to have that awareness. But I mean, the Buddhists do say, don't they? That you know, refuge uh, is you take refuge in a teacher um, and trust that teacher and the teachings to be the pure teachings of the Buddha. And you have a right to question it. There's no Buddhist law, nothing in Buddhism that says you must bow down unnecessarily. You're bowing down to what the truth that Buddha represented. So again, it's shelter in the truth as spoken by mm. those wise souls that came before us and were kind enough to to leave 
these teachings so that we could pick it up if we wanted to. Yeah, you got yeah. You there, there has to be a something or a someone that you get. A, even if it's like a small kernel of a, of the idea of the truth, right? Then, then you have faith, and once you have that, then then you can let go of being the director and producer of your life in ways, but it has it doesn't have to do with somebody telling you what to do. Like with us, Maharaji, I mean, he, you know, he didn't tell us anything what to do. Do, uh, oh, read his book. I said, what book? He said, um, the uh, Bible, Jesus's book, you know, whatever. So, um, there wasn't anything really from that point of view. So then it's a transmission that's sort of miraculous in a way. I mean, in other words, you could have one teacher who could teach you and you learn sort of and you go places and then some, something else comes into your life which transforms you. It doesn't teach you. Well, what I guess what I was trying to say here uh, before my lovely wife walked right in front of the window, Dave, and you were making goo-goo eyes <laughs> no, with her. She was, I thought Jesus. she wanted to communicate something to us. Um, I was trying to talk about, about <laughs> intuitive. That's what, where we get to and what we, what we need to really identify with is that intuitive place in us that's not something that we're trying to plan out or think out, and you connect that intuit, intuition with the with the spiritual um a teacher a teaching uh, a book uh, a, a chant uh, whatever it is i mean I, you know uh, i've i've met tons of people who have absolutely come to that truth without having they you do not need that physical representation those of us that did get that were of course you know mm. awfully lucky so but other people get it the way they get it and and, and actually we weren't I, that's a Actually, that's not true. The people that did, uh, people who have managed to be with people who are embodiments of the truth. Right. I believe, because I've seen so many of us that didn't meet that, uh, in my experience, which is with Ninkaroli Baba, people did not meet him, and yet they have that same, they, they've got the um, implant yeah, but I mean, you, you, exactly. Without that. But you're not. You, what you're saying is they still need to know about him, shall we say? Something, yeah, you there know, has to be you, something. Even if they didn't meet him, if they know about yeah. him, the effect can be just as powerful as the effect yeah, upon you and exactly. Krishnadas. And, you know, as hard as that is to believe, because having been around many of the people who were there, I wasn't there, um, it, it's quite, it's, it never stops. So it's just an absolutely relentless, ingrained implant, as Raghu just said. And the effect of that on others who weren't there is powerful. Yeah, I like that uh, image actually. <laughs> that we're thinking of it as a, an implant. It's, it's, it's kind of what Ramdas was saying in his thing there, yeah. where I didn't think about surrendering. It was already that moment. It was like you, you, you just are so connected with intuitively. I just mm. let go, you know, mm. and I can relate with that. And I feel like that. I mean. In India, of course, they would call it uh, an initiation, um, but that's way too formal. And I think many people get mm. this implant. Many of them have gotten it from just reading "Be Here Now." I mean, how many people do we know? You know, in that sense, um, how many? You know, I uh, it's it's come about. Uh, I mean, we 
I have to tell you, Dave. <laughs> I mean, we we've been talking about. Geez, we keep talking about the same guy or the this or the. Th- yeah. Because we're one-dimensional. I mean, we really are. We have certain, and you know, Dave and I are on one page. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this together if we weren't. Um, and uh, not that we agree on everything, but we we've had teachers all, uh, you know, uh, um, enlightened beings and teachers all along the way that we are. That's our. They've been our mentors. They've been. They are our our identification with guru. You know. Uh, God guru self, which is what this all is, which is completely just inside you. It's not something outside. And so we keep talking about the same people. You know, I wanted to t- talk again about Trungpa. I was just thinking about him. And, you know, um, we, you could go on about one of my favorite um, uh, truth embodiers, hmm. which is Shirdi Sai Baba, who is yes. this, who some of the stories of what he did. Yeah, and think about it. He blow died your in mind. 1918, Raghu, and yeah. I was born, you know, many many years. Ago, but it you was were born just, in 28. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm good for my age, uh, yes. maybe. But I mean, once I came into contact with his teaching, it wasn't real. No, it wasn't about that. It was about one photograph that Hilda Charlton showed to me. Of of Shirdi Sai Baba, and I knew something, something was connected with, with you know connected with me. It was not rational, it was not even close to rational. And then later, I became more and more investigative, and now I have every book that was ever written about him, and I have at least four hundred pictures of him. I'm not that kind of person actually that has pictures of anyone, but I collect pictures of Shirdi Sai Baba. And when I've been to India, I brought many back, and people have given them to me. Why? What is the reason? And it's just what you were talking about. Some catalyst, some. And it's a blessing. You can't be too. You can't use these technical words like catalyst or transform. It's just a miracle that anything came into my life that changed me from being really self-absorbed. Not that I'm not self-absorbed still, but very ego-based and very fearful. Very fearful. Um, just to do a little name dropping, which I have to do on every show. It's a rule here. <laughs> oh yeah, you haven't but, done anything. No, oh, I'm going to do one right now. Uh, you did in the car, but you can't tell that story. That no, I can't tell the story. Jesus. No, I can't. But this okay. one is, is very, very wholesome. Um, and now everybody says, well, I want to hear the one that was in the car. Well, you're not going to. I did work with Roger Waters of Pink Floyd about five years ago. And uh, I worked with him a lot over a, a period of 18 months. And it was quite strenuous. He's a, a real taskmaster and a perfectionist. And he was doing some incredible projects that I was lucky enough to be part of. And then when we finished the projects, one time I was sitting at the back of his house in Long Island, and um, he brought out a couple of beers and just wanted to chat, you know. And there was something he wanted to say to me, and, and he said it. He said, you know, my life has changed so much for the better in the last year. And he was uh, about 60 at that time. So it wasn't, you know, this he wasn't a young guy. And I said, well, why, Roger? And he said, my life was totally fear-based. Mm. What do you think the wall is? What do you think that was about? And I said, well, what was it about? He said, I was in a little cafe in London, and out of nowhere, I started drawing on a on a, a, a piece of paper in front of me, and I drew a wall, and then in the middle of the wall, I drew a picture of my heart, like a heart, and I realized there was a wall around my heart, and I had to You're get kidding. that. Yeah, he told me this whole thing. He said, I wanted to knock that wall down, and it was a wall of conditioning, and... Um, he said, but nevertheless, after all these years, it still didn't work until I met this great person. And she's uh, changed my life. And my life was fear-based. 
And he said, the basic problem in the Western world is, is that we're fear-based, full stop period. Once you stop having fears, no matter how you get to it, your life improves immeasurably. And he looked at me and he said, mm -hmm. I know what people say about me, that I'm a real taskmaster and everything. He said, but actually, that's kind of the past. I, I really am loving life so much right now and loving people. And there's, no, there's very little fear. It comes back and I can just send it away. And I, boy, did this blow my mind. Wow. I, I, re I remember driving home and thinking, God, that's so fundamental. And it's not just it's a you know, famous person, Roger Waters. It was just so fundamental a thing he said to me. It really resonated with me since that time, which is five years ago, that I'm so fear-based too. I realized it in the car going home. Oh my God, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of making a fool of myself. I'm scared of not being able to pay this. I'm scared of being mm. a, 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 some kind of loser. You know, all of that. And what he, what he passed on to me, it was almost like a transmission, was don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of ultimately. But he also told me it took him 60 years to get to that. Wow. Very moving. So he used, so when the wall was like a long, long time. The wall was very early. The wall was written in the 70s. But, you know, um, Roger was very political, I thought. I thought the wall was about the British political system and that's mm. not bricks out of the wall and the schoolboy, you know, and the horrible oppression of English public schools and so on, private school. And uh, yeah, that's what it was about on one level. What he was saying to me was that that's not the ultimate level of what that was really about. What it was about, that I was just terrified of life. And thank the heavens, I'm no longer. Mm. It took long enough. He was very wow, humble about that's it. That's really... Very moving thing. And, and I forever loved the guy after that because it was so open. And he was genuinely trying to help me because he must have looked... <laughs> <laughs> looked at me and said, "This is a frightened rat," which no. which I sort of was around him because he was so you know like such a genius. He's a genius. Really? Yeah, he's a genius. When he sat down and played acoustic guitar in his own studio there, I was so privileged. Me and the camera operator, we, he just asked us to sit with him, and he played on an acoustic Martin that he had there, some beautiful, beautiful English old Renaissance music, and then just broke into Delta blues. Really? Just sitting there playing. He's a master. Jesus he's a genuine Christ. master. And, you know, uh, The Wall and Darkness on the Side of the Moon are two of the most successful art objects of all time. Yeah. The Wall is the second biggest selling double album to Michael Jackson. And Dark Side of the Moon is the longest, was the longest uh, ever to be on the charts. Mm. It was on the charts for, I think, 34 years. Jeez. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it, you know, this came from a rock star, but it can also come from anybody when they say something to you that just goes, wow, you know. I've been stuck in mm, that box. That's a great uh, story. I yeah. love that. You never, never told, told us. Never told that story. Mainly mm. because I always felt that it was like a private thing, you know, but there's nothing bad about it. It's only positive about yeah. him. I mean... Well, he, the imagery is fantastic. The yeah. wall and put a heart in the yeah. middle of the wall. I mean, and and let it let that heart dissolve. He wrote it on a napkin. Everything. He said it was automatic writing mm. because when he did it, he then saw it. That's how he described it. And Waters is by no means like, a, you know... A sort of, uh, he's very pragmatic. And so he was saying it was like an automatic thing. I suddenly saw this thing on this brown napkin next to my coffee, and it was a wall, four-sided, kind of three-dimensionally drawn with the heart inside of it. And I wondered, what is that about? Mm. And later came the wall. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, really. Yeah. You know, so where, where does that put us? <laughs> you know what? It makes me think, actually, of... Gee, I'd like to do, we should do some podcasts on uh, different, what are you doing? <laughs> it's it's a plastic bottle. 
that is making a noise. We should do different podcasts on, on. Uh, I just love this image of what Roger. I had a completely different thing about what the wall was, and I wasn't. Hmm. I've never been the biggest fan, hmm. and this has completely turned my head around. Number one, and it, and I want to. I want to listen to it now, and I wish I had it up here on our turntable, folks, that we don't have, uh, at least on our computer. Uh, but then Roger would sue us, too, yeah, yeah, so too. that wouldn't be good. <laughs> Although you could call him, maybe. Um, but I think, uh, no. hey, let's do some other ones where we have, uh, you know, around different uh, musicians and artists who have that kind of, have had that kind of transforming effect on their audience. Obviously Springsteen, obviously Marley, but there, there's more, and there's, you know, people that oh, weren't, yeah. uh, we, we could do, um, let's do one of those, in fact, all right? Sure, I yeah. think we should. Yeah. Um, well, music. Let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, music can be one of those things that throws you out of your ego, maybe at a concert or just something. Because I've read so many letters from people, not only to us but to other people, saying, "You know, when I first heard Jimi Hendrix, everything changed." Now that wasn't true for me. I liked Hendrix just like everybody did. He wasn't my. I just thought he was an amazing thing. It, it was something else. But that's what's so great you about music. Say music. that. What? That it wasn't Hendrix. Say that about Hendrix? Are you out of your mind? He's no, he was great. Mo- he was oh, great. it's beyond great. I okay. Mean, come on. That's just terrible. But I, I want to keep going. I love, I love Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a lot of mail on that. I one. love him. I, I love him. I, I love him. Oh, God help us. It's because you're from England. He came to England. Uh, He's a foreigner. So <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, it was, no, I loved Crosstown Traffic. I loved Electric Lady yeah, There's a new Hendrix record just I heard out, about right? that. Yeah, I, we Have you heard it? That. No, we'll listen to it together. Let's listen we? to the new Hendrix, yes. which is, you know, 50 years after he died. Um, yeah. well, no, but Hendrix did that to a lot, I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. But the dad, you know, I, I wasn't a yeah. big, to say the least, I was not a big dad fan, even though I did a film about them once. Um, and they were really, really nice guys, actually. But I wasn't. But so many thousands, maybe millions of people yeah. oh, would yeah. ascribe the Grateful Dead to their moment of, of like seeing through the ego game and just going to another place. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, so you know, talk about psychedelics. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we're we're at the uh, end of our podcast here. Oh. And um, such a shame. But. I'll tell you, I am so happy to have heard that story. I I have that image in my head now, the wall and and the heart. You know, he wrote it on napkin, right? Yes. Oh, my God. You should have kept that napkin. Jesus. I asked him, I think, about that, and believe it or not, I don't remember. I don't think he had kept it. Hmm. He's a very private person, and now I'm really worried that he's going to come after me. <laughs> yeah, like he'll. You know what? It's crazy because yeah, we yeah. get mail or email or Facebook or whatever, Twitter. We get from people. We like you listen to this. Yes. Wow, how did you hear about? It? You know, folks, we've only been out there for three and a half months at this point, and uh, happy to have you all aboard with us. It's uh, it's a fun thing for Dave and I. And if any decent thoughts that can help anybody come out of this. Uh, certainly, this Roger Waters uh, image uh, is. I, I'm keeping it. I mean, I love it. I'm um, that completely changed and turned my head around there, and it's a great image for everybody. 
that 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 heart absolutely does melt ab- anything uh, all impediments are melted in that space when he looked at sure. me Raga, i'm telling you i mean i've been working with him for a, a month or two at that point it was a very professional thing he was always extremely gracious and friendly i will say and is a remarkable person but when he was looking at me he was on the lawn we were kind of on a you know sitting in, kind of cross-legged on the lawn and he was looking at me and his eyes were just as soft as a deer's it was just amazing what what was coming out of him you know that he was trying to communicate something to me as a fellow Englishman uh, brought up in the same thing the same age you know just and what I don't think he did know was when I left how much it it changed me because mm. I realized how much of my life was actually fear-based mm. simple mm. thing but if you look at your life and if you're waking up in the morning with great trepidation about the day to come that's the time to try and examine that yeah. I think and don't right. we we never like to pontificate here so take it for what it's worth you know yeah no exactly well it's been good uh today again folks uh we thank you for your support and we hope you continue the amazon thing is obviously a great thing to link up and buy your stuff uh through there and that helps us and uh again we we thank you thanks dave thank you and we'll see you soon